HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's show is sponsored by Bob's Red Mill. With natural foods, they support organic, vegan, paleo, and gluten-free lifestyles. Learn more about their commitment to good food for all at bobsredmill.com slash podcast. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. We're a member-supported food radio network broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. Join our hosts as they lead you through the world of craft brewing behind the scenes of the restaurant industry, inside the battle over school food, and beyond. Find us at heritageradionetwork.org. Hi, and welcome to A Taste of the Past. I'm your host, Linda Palaccio, on this weekly journey through culinary history. Do you remember the puzzle book for kids called Where's Waldo? My guest today could easily start his own guessing game, Where's Rolando? Rolando Beramendi is constantly in motion, popping up in places all over the world, well, at least between Italy and the United States. And everywhere he goes, he's constantly sharing his passion for food made with quality ingredients in the Italian way. And now he's written a book, Autentico, Cooking Italian the Authentic Way. Unlike many cookbooks, especially Italian cookbooks, Autentico goes far beyond just pasta. In a world where culinary shortcuts adulteration, misleading labeling, and mass production, as the book's blurb says, where they seem to take over and they are labeled authentic food, they're not always authentic. And my guest, Rolando Beramende, has written this book to kind of set the record straight there. But he is a culinary archaeologist, we're going to talk about that, culinary archaeologist, innovator, cooking teacher, bon vivant, (laughs) and And he, with this book, and just with his his passion, as I said, for good food, good Italian food, he has kept these centuries-old culinary traditions alive. Soon after graduating with a degree in economics from UC Davis, Rolando founded his company Manicaretti, the Italian fine food importer. He's a frequent winner of specialty food show awards and truly a chef's chef's chef. 
His products and cooking classes and culinary expertise have been praised by so many of the well-known chefs around the country on this side of the Atlantic and the other. With his importing company and his new cookbook, Rolando has crafted the perfect guide to authentic Italian food. I'm so pleased to have him here with me today. Welcome, Rolando. Thank you, Linda, for having me. We talked about so much before the show that I hope I don't forget to <laughs> to bring it all back into play um, for the recording, because you are you're you are not only passionate about what you do, but you you have so much energy. I mean, like the 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 um, what is it called the the bunny rabbit, the, 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 oh, the ener- energizer bunny. bunny. The little, yeah. Yeah, go around <laughs> right. You just keep clink, going, going, going. I mean, you, and it's, and it's contagious. You talk mm. about food and, and your love for food. But we do have, I do have some specific questions for you. Um, first of all, the fact that you're, you have culinary training did you go to culinary school? No, not at all. You are, and you've never been a chef in a restaurant. I've been, you know, cooking in different restaurants around the country and as well in Italy. And I had for a little while a little wine bar in the village, uh, which was a wonderful place. And then, you know, I, I just spent a lot of time in the kitchens and spending time learning because I think that you can never stop learning. So I'm always trying to, you know, barge myself into people's kitchen and, and <laughs> learn along with them. <laughs> well, I mean, everyone just assumes that you are Italian, and we were talking beforehand that yeah. you, you, your pedigree is, is anything but purely Italian. Not You're, at all. You, know, you got I'm a little a, bit of everything in there. I'm a big mutt. I was <laughs> born in the Patagonia in the south of Argentina, and my family is, I'm a quarter Latvian and a quarter Swedish from my mother's side, and then I'm a quarter... Italian and Tuscan and Basque on my father's side. Well, so, obviously, it's a good mix for for food. Uh, I don't know. I think you know. <laughs> look what happened. I'm two meters tall, right? Six seven. <laughs> I think the genetic pull went berserk with me. <laughs> well, and not unlike where's Waldo. I mean, you know, a, a picture of finding you. You're you're easy to pick out because you stand, you know, heads and uh, you know, heads above everyone else. Um, and. But but going to school in um, in California in economics, I mean, how did you how did you take that dive into the food world? It was it just happened. I don't think that there was you know I had a plan or or I went to college with an idea of this is what I'm going to do. I just happened to be in a period at UC Davis where it was still very small. We were entering class of 300 students, so huh. it was very small. Now it looks like a shopping center, so big. <laughs> but uh, it, and then I was uh, also in charge of the International Student Association, and I started to do all these evenings that we would call them cultural nights. So every all the students from different countries they had to organize a dinner party for all the other students, and we would all eat their food and share. Oh yeah, you know, and so. I got to meet a lot of you know the people from different parts of the world, but there was a particular friend of mine. His name is Alessandro Valecchi, and he was very key in bringing me to Florence. In fact, he's part of my dedication to the book is to him, because he was involved with a very famous family in in, in Italy called the Frescobaldi family, which yeah. you may have yes. heard of wine and olive oil producers, and he was a uh, 
in charge of developing this new consortium of olive oil that set the new standards about olive oil quality. And when I, all of a sudden, you know, I got married. I went to cook a dinner in the Alps uh, at my former wife's uh, uncle. And I, I was always the one cooking hmm. uh, because I love to cook. And uh, all of a sudden, these people showed up with a basket full of goodies of wonderful artisan food. And they said, would you help us find, you know, someone in the United States to import these products? Mind you, I was 22 years old. Hmm. So you're fearless at that age. Yeah, yeah. And the world was very different then, you know. There were not all the, the worries of, you know, today. And so I made a lot of appointments with different importers and retailers around the Bay Area where I was living. And uh, they all threw me out. They all said, are you crazy? Who's going to buy these products? And so I started to bring them into my garage. And now Manicaretti is almost 30 years old. Hmm. I mean, yet I think that San Francisco Bay Area, there was such a large Italian population yeah. and, you know, the, the North Beach area. Yeah, I but do you I, remember the olive oils and, the, and yeah. the goodies that we could find Italian food 30 years right. ago? They we were, were very different of, than the ones that you can find yeah, today. Absolutely. <laughs> and, and even still in some, some parts of, of cities all around, you know, not large is, cities, around, around America, you still can't find... But you know, the really good products. Good. But yeah. I think it's all a matter. I think that I was at the right time at the right place because the food revolution was just starting in California. And had it not been for the whole Californian cuisine sort of developing at that time, they were so hungry for products from all over the world. Yeah. And the Italian ingredients were key to developing. Yeah, that, they just know. they fit right in. Yeah. Right, that yeah. was the, right and in there. Now they make their own, but you know, at that time <laughs> they didn't. And so now, you know, at that time they, you know. that begs another question for later on. <laughs> <laughs> so you founded your company. Yeah, and you know, called uh, Manicaretti, Manicaretti which, which means little treats or little delicacies mm -hmm. or you know, sort of beautiful morsels that you eat. And I went around the country, you know, with my car full of samples and met all the wonderful chefs and and the incredible people retailers who have made them all happen and i'm as i told you i think once before i do believe that all these products are alive and kicking thanks to the american chefs and the american shopkeepers the specialty food trade because without them you know we don't know what would have happened to many of these products, you know. That's right. Well, you know, it's un not unlike the um, the founder of Heritage Foods. Um, he kept alive small producers yes. of meats mm -hmm. by, you know, taking them, you know, as you did, like, and giving them a market. Yes. Yeah, giving them a market, selling oh. them to different restaurants and chefs. And, and it was very important for me this whole back and forth and this whole thing of where's Rolando? Like you said, the wall of my back and forth is <laughs> is. It was very important for me to bring, bring them to Italy to see how these products were made and spend a lot of time in Italy so that you can share with them the same experience, you know, of going into people's homes or going into people's restaurants and opening the doors. And the most wonderful thing about Italians is that they're going to throw open they're their doors, <laughs> cook for you, they share their recipe, they tell you every secret, you know, it's... They're the most wonderful people in the world that way. Yeah. Well, Ina Garten, uh, the Barefoot Contessa, wrote a, a beautiful foreword for you to the book. Yeah, and she's so dear. And she talks about going to Italy with you and going to actually to Sicily. Sicily, right? yes, yeah. we were. 
and exactly as you described it, going into people's homes, having people cook for them, discovering all the products. Fun. It's, Someone's got to do it. I but mean. I think it's, you know, you, you can walk around any place in Italy nowadays, still today, and, and just ask for a recipe and they will give it to you. <laughs> so that's, that's the beauty of Italy, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> um, well, in this book, um, Autentico, meaning authentic, um, you you say that the you know the the secrets you, well you sort of are spreading the secrets to good quality cooking traditional Italian cooking and that's to have a well stocked pantry. Yes. And you kind of flipped the you just you just told me right before we sat down you flipped the the book, um, the book upside down. Yeah, right. <laughs> Tell us about that. You decided to well, put it first. Uh, most of it, you know uh, the cookbooks that I have seen you know on Italian food or any food whatsoever many sometimes i feel that the best recipes are the ones that are almost in the last chapter the the last things the the sauces the reductions or things that you should have your resources right and and so i consider myself to be a supply side cook not a demand side cook i cook with what i have Mm -hmm. and so it's very important that you have a well-stocked pantry with lots of beautiful things from all over the world, not just Italy. <laughs> and then I also consider my fridge to be part of my pantry because I, you know, we're, we're all very busy during the week working. And so what I do on Sundays is I make my chicken stocks or my, you know, my paste and my, my beans. I also make mashed potatoes and have them there, you know. And so you can then come home from your busy day and then some of the recipes in the book in 30 minutes if you have those things it looked like you cooked all day <laughs> yeah <laughs> so it's that's, a, that's the great of, thing about it yeah. Yeah. but the important thing of course is the taste and the taste. and i can tell by looking at the pictures that, that they just taste wonderful i mean they don't and you don't see you don't see a lot of extraneous ingredients hanging mm. around on the plate mm. well i just wanted to write a book that it it sort of embodies the beautiful philosophy of the the simple and authentic Italian cooking that I know. That is a very simple philosophy of it is what it is, and that's how it will be. And so I wanted to write the recipe exactly like I learned from that particular person who is in the book, you know, and taught me how to do that. And most likely... Maybe, you know, the people across the street or the next door neighbors, their grandmother, you know, cooks it in a different way. But the recipes that I learned, I, they, they each have the name of the person who basically taught me that. And I just wanted to do it the way that it is. Yeah. And that's what I, I really did want to enter into a, a discussion about that word authentic. <laughs> and you say, well, the grandmother who lives next door may cook it a little different way. Yeah. And yet it's still the basic dish, the basic recipe. She might you know, change things a little bit. Because there, there is a lot of controversy over authenticity. And oh, who, yeah. who owns the dish and who, you know, who cooks it the, authentic, the absolute authentic way. Yes. I, that's like finding a needle in a haystack. Because as you say, you, know, you go door to door to door in the same block and everyone cooks it just a little bit differently. Yeah, and uh, of course everybody's going to say, you know, you need to add a cup of cream or, you know, you you have to put, you know, some butter in it. You know, take for example ragu, right? Meat ragu. The Academia Italiana della Cucina 
has registered, recognizes right. 14 types of ragu. <laughs> And it's so, and and the and one of the original ones. It is a registered recipe. I mean, yeah. unbelievable. Yeah. So you know, of course, there's going to be disagreements, but that's the beauty of Italy. Uh, you know, that's one of the most wonderful things. I mean, I even wrote it in 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 the book about you know simple rosticana. Even how do you pronounce it? Let alone what's in the dish. I mean, there's going to be like discussions like crazy over about how do you write it, how you spell it, how you pronounce it. But that's authentic. You know, mm-hmm. that's what I wanted to capture with the book is to show that there is no right or wrong. But this is the way that I know it. And this is the way that I have learned over 30 years of going back and forth and living in Italy. And I just wanted to share with everybody what I know. And this is the way that I know it. This is what it is. Yeah. Well, certainly you um, ha- have learned a lot and even more about food over that 30 years. You split your time pretty equally between Florence and, and San Francisco. And New York, yeah. And New York, and like New York. Okay. The, the corridor, yeah. <laughs> the corridor. <laughs> yeah. Um, I just, you know, in, but I, I still sort of, you know, questioned, you know, why... So many and so many cookbooks on the shelves. Well, you just answered that basically, I guess. You know, why another cookbook? Yeah, that's exactly what I asked, you know, when, when I was first approached to put together a proposal for writing a, you know, a cookbook. I said, who needs another Italian cookbook? There's, there's hundreds of them. I mean, if you look into any cookbook store or bookshops, that's the largest section is yeah. the Italian. right. But they're mostly pasta and pizza centric. Everything seems to be very carb yeah. centric. Yeah, and yet even with you know the simpler um, meat vegetable dishes, mm-hmm. um, I can't tell you how many times, and I'm sure it happens to you, that I'm approached by people because they know that I do a lot of Italian mm-hmm. cooking, and they'll say, "Oh, gee, how can you tell me how you make?" And it'll be like the simplest dish. And you realize people are really hungry <laughs> for, you know, for the simple yeah. instructions, the simple yeah. recipes. And, and one, you asked me you know, before the show began what I thought of the book and, you know, did I like it? No, I don't like it. Of course I like it. How could I not like it? Um, and one of the things that I, um, my comments to you was, and I will repeat it, is that it's a very approachable book on all, for anyone of any cooking level. You've got you explain things so thoroughly, and the ingredient list is never more than I don't know about I five, know. six ingredients, and that's probably a lot for most of them. Yes. And the instructions are simple. I mean, I'm looking at recipes. I, I you know, I think, oh, well, it's a couple pages long. It's like you know, half a you know, the three quarters of a page. Or a page I just long. wanted to write a book that is about the do's, not the don't. The don't. You know how many how many cookbooks you see? You say, oh, don't do this and don't do that. If you do this. You're going to burn it. I just, you know, I wanted to write a cookbook that that it just makes you want to do it, that it should make you want to, like, eat it, right? Yeah, (laughs) definitely. And and, though that's just you, you say there's uh, so many cookbooks on the shelves and mostly Italian, because everybody loves Italian food, and you don't really get tired of it. You know, I love um, Malaysian food. I love uh, Thai food. I love... French food. There's not. I don't think there's a food I don't love. But you can't eat it every single night sometimes. I mean, some people. Mm. (laughs) You know, I can't eat it every single night. But I don't think that a lot of people ever really get tired of eating 
Italian food because you eat a dish, and I, I'll, I could leaf to something in your book. You maybe you could come up with it for me. But a simple dish, and it's a, maybe a meat dish or a vegetable dish, and you wouldn't necessarily say, "Oh, that's Italian," mm-hmm. but it is, and yeah. it's just simple, and you know, and and tastes good. Tastes of the ingredients. Tastes fresh. I mean, it was very difficult for me to you know choose 125 recipes in which you know. I mean, you know, I could write maybe five more volumes of things that I know. But I wanted to choose those, the recipes that they would actually be about a certain technique, uh, a way that you approach the food, and then once you master that little technique, then you can, then you can add things or take things out or do whatever. But you know, it's just it's very important. I think that if you cook all those recipes from the first one to the last one, you have basically mastered the the, the, the way of a, of, of a simple house, you know, household in Italy. And then nowadays. you can apply it to, you apply it to whatever right? ingredients you yeah. want. Um, is this what you refer to when you, or, or it's been said about you, keeping traditions alive? Yes, yes. And that's what I was telling you before. I mean, this to me, it's, I feel that Italian food has gone astray. It's just, you know, we've complicated so much. We've, I mean, look what has happened to poor burrata. I mean, burrata and puglia, they just serve it to you simply on a, on plate, a plate with, you know, cut in quarters and maybe they'll drizzle some olive oil. Now you go to any restaurant around the country here in the U.S. and the burrata has become the new caviar almost. <laughs> and they put everything you can imagine on it. And I say, well, what's wrong with just burrata, right? It's simple. Right. Just, just simple just cheese simple with cheese creamy with center. Creamy. Yeah, well, I mean, what and, could be you know, better? And some good olive oil, and that's it. Yeah. Well, we're going to talk about good olive oil. We're going to talk about olive oil and so much more when we come back after a short break. I'm Michael Harlan Turkel, host of The Food Scene and Modernist Breadcrumbs on Heritage Radio Network. I'm here at Bob's Red Mill to find out from Bob himself why his products taste so good. So what's the secret, Bob? To make the best whole grain flour, we look back in time. No modern technology can match the old world engineering of a stone mill. Wow. Bob's Red Mill is using stone mills? How old are we talking here? Well, the stone mills are practically as old as mankind, and no matter what civilization they uncover, they find two stones that people were rubbing together to make uh, something they could eat, whole wheat flour. But the stones that we use are quarried near Paris, France, in La Ferte, and it's the same stone material from the same quarry that the uh, Romans used to make stone mills all over the Roman Empire, of which you can testify by looking at, at uh, Pompeii. It's a quartz material. It has a uniqueness about it. It's very hard. It has a certain porosity. And they put the stones together in a unit of 20 pieces and band it so that they use only the best and, and sharpest parts. It's an ingenious thing but very old. I mean, thousands of years old. So it's uh, pretty cool. Those sound like some really special stones. 
How do they work? Stone's turning either the top or the bottom stone, turning at 100 to 125 revolutions per minute, produce a lovely three, four, up to 500 pounds, depends on the, how, how soft the grain is. The bottom stone is the bedstone, and it's also called the nether stone in the Bible, but it also now turns for some configurations. Would you say that using stone mills lead to healthier grains? I know they do. I can watch it. I showed you. <laughs> you know it as well as I do. Uh, the grain goes in the top, goes through the stones, and it comes out. We don't lose anything, and we don't add anything. Thanks for sharing the story of how Bob's Red Mill is using ancient technology to keep their products on the cutting edge. Michael, we think that we can make a difference by sticking by the traditional way of stone milling whole grain, and that's what we're doing. You can learn more at bobsredmill.com slash podcast. Hi, welcome back. I'm talking with Rolando Beramendi, and he his, he's the, the food guru, is what he is. Oh, my uh, man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he's written a book called Autentico, Cooking Italian the Authentic Way. <clears throat> and, and it really is... Uh, as has been written about it, an introduction to the true flavors of Italy. Well, what you do with them is up to you, but you know you really do give a good explanation of the flavors, as you said. Sort of, it's like a suggest, and then the recipes that follow are a suggestion of what to do with those yes. ingredients, right? Yeah, and also I think you know um, one of the things that I wanted to let people know as well. I mean, the first ingredient that I think is the pillar and the base of everything that you're going to cook. The most important ingredient in my kitchen is, is extra virgin olive oil. Mm-hmm. And now we are here. It, as we're recording this, it's November, so we are celebrating the season of the new oil yes, this year. Yes, it was that's... quite exciting to see it. And actually, on Sunday, you'll be tasting some. So ah, you know, great. <laughs> It's a celebration of the book on Sunday. Right? Yeah, yeah, so um, I don't think there's an ingredient that really can change the way that your food tastes more so than using a good extra virgin olive oil. Mm. And in the book, I went even further out, specifying whether you should use a cooking olive oil, whether you have a mild olive oil, a medium olive oil, or a robust olive oil, and also make room for the freshly pressed olive oil, mm, you know, which is about it, right? to come. <laughs> right. Because I think that depending on what role does the olive oil play in the recipe, the, the simpler the list of ingredients, uh, it becomes the most important ingredient. It's your, it's your emulsifier, it's your, it's your sauce. Mm. So the simpler the recipe, the higher the quality your olive oil should be. Mm, interesting. So I tried, you know, that was a really fun uh, way to try to, you know, so you should have, I have sometimes seven, sometimes ten types of olive oil in my kitchen because that's what I do and that's what I love. But I always say to my friends, imagine having one type of olive oil in your kitchen. It'll be like drinking the same wine every day. You'll be <laughs> bored out of your mind after a while, right? Yeah. And, and, it's, and learning to taste the olive oil will give people an idea yes. of what you're talking about when you say you know, the more robust and the less. And, and I, think, I think Americans in particular are becoming more educated. Oh, yeah. my gosh, yes. Look at what has happened in the last 30 years. I mean, before, there used to be oil in a can and, mm-hmm. and in the bottom shelf. That was it. Now there's quite a bit of assortment. 
sometimes these specialty food shops they have an olive oil section that it looks almost like a wine shop. That's now. right, and they offer and, ta- and they actually offer tastings. Yeah, if you're not sure so about great. The, the oil. Just, that's the beauty of this country. Let's <laughs> great olive oil, but let's talk a little bit about um, some of the unfortunate things that have, have happened. You you talk about um, that you wanted uh, to present authentic ingredients and so often things are mislabeled and people are saying, Oh, it's Italian, real Italian. You got to look at where it comes from. But then Mm. the olive oil, there've been problems with that. We can give a brief explanation on that. But there's also happens to, you know, designer bags and and fancy cars. (laughs) You're absolutely right. I mean, made in Italy is one of the greatest, is the greatest (laughs) brand in the world. You know? So if you say it's made in Italy, it sells. It's just, just that immediately your product goes up, you know, 50%. So many products do get processed in Italy or packaged in Italy, and then therefore they're allowed to be exported that way. And so Italy is it, it's sort of like the, the refinery of all good, of beautiful things, right? And so many of the products from around the Mediterranean or from other parts of the world, they come to Italy, they get assembled in Italy, and they have that possibility to put that made in Italy and take, you know, advantage of that brand. Mm. And uh, unfortunately, then that, that gets too complicated with politics and, you know, multinational corporations and publicly traded corporations. And I want to continue to promote <laughs> the authentic products. And I think that's the best thing that we can do, because if we really use the authentic products, then those other products would cease to exist. I mean, it's it's going to be very difficult for a chain of Italian restaurants across the country with more than a hundred restaurants to switch to a, you know, a, an oil that is made in the authentic way or with lots of integrity, because then food costs will go up right. to the wazoo. Yeah, yeah, and that I mean so, that it's always isn't that what it gets down to? I mean, you know, so, like they can oh we can we can get that to you for half the price. So, well. Yeah, yeah, but the thing is, that who's, to, who's to blame? The producer selling the bottle of olive oil, you know, for half the price, or the chef who's buying it and using it? Yeah. We need to make people stop buying them. My, my last page in Authentico is a call to action of that, of just saying, don't buy them anymore, you know? I mean, don't use those things that are not authentic, and then they'll just go away. They'll disappear eventually, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Um, what um, and what about shortcuts in you say shortcuts are, are something that um, yeah. sort of eroded uh, tradition traditional recipes what explain what you mean by what shortcuts? well I think shortcuts are, are <laughs> for lack of a better word it would be things that are already frozen or prepackaged and hmm. made you know in order that they make it to the restaurants or Let's. I will call one of the greatest shortcuts as a bouillon cube. You know, <laughs> uh, there's a recipe in the book for aquacotta that it's one of the most beautiful soups, uh, the simplest soups that you can imagine, from uh, Tenuta di Capezzana and uh, right outside of Florence. And uh, Marcella Hazan and the Essentials of Italian Cooking. She calls the Contessa Lisa, Lisa Contini Bonacosi the greatest home cook in. Um, and in Italy, well, and one of the ingredients is actually bouillon cube, you know. But 
we nowadays, if you go to Capizzana, bouillon cube doesn't exist in the kitchen. No, mm. we've, we've graduated from that. Now we make, you know, everybody makes a wonderful broth. And so I think that if we stop using bouillon cube, for example, as a shortcut, then they wouldn't be on the shelves anymore. Yeah. Um, and and you do as you you gave your own shortcuts. I mean, if you will, yes. these are these are yes. authentic food shortcuts mm-hmm. for mm-hmm. making these things. Like you say, you turn Sunday or, into or a, a preparation, day. right? Yeah, and some stocks and, and sofrito. The stocks. Yeah. Yes, all those things. I think that you can those shortcuts as long as you're making them yourself and you make them with and making them with good ingredients. You actually you make them and have them at home ready to go. Those are great to have. Hmm. But there's a lot of products out there that shouldn't exist anymore. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You you travel in throughout. I mean, I know you travel throughout the um, Italy, searching for products for um, for your business. But um, you also just have this way of of kind of getting into people's lives and meeting people and finding out so much about them. As far as the cooking and the food, is there um, you don't want people to not like you, but one particular region that is your favorite? No, because I think that, you know, even though I've been living in Florence, and Florence is my home, and Florence um, has the most carnivore diet of, of all yeah. of Italy. I mean, they eat steak and, and game, and, you know, everything is with ragu, and with it's just so carnivorous, you know, as a diet. Every now and then I just take the train, which is so... F- you know, fantastic in Italy, and I can go to Venice or go to Bologna or go to Rome for the day and just go detox from, <laughs> you know, go eat vegetables, you know, <laughs> and change my diet, you know, because I think that the most wonderful thing about Italy is is that aspect of it, that there is no homogeneous cuisine, that you can travel from the other side of the hill and you'll have a completely different menu and and that's the beauty of, of of Italy for me. I just I love the the variety. Even you know if you think about it, the wine also. I mean, there's like thirteen hundred varieties of grapes you know grown in Italy. It's, yeah. it's just so beautiful. Well, I I realize that you um, that you did have a lot of um, I'm going to say not favorites, but that you you embraced the specialties of so many different regions. And I was so surprised when I turned one page and saw the, the stuffed rice crown, timbalo, the stuffed rice crown, yeah, the, the stuffed sartu rice crown from Napoli. From Nap- and and <laughs> I thought, well, now see, that's something that a lot of people would not expect would be, you know, a rice dish as the center piece of you know of a meal it's in just, Italy. It's such a wonderful celebratory dish. I mean, it's actually the most complicated recipe in the book. It was, as you yeah, notice, yes, it was. it's two pages long and, <laughs> and two pages long of ingredients. But it's every now and then it's so wonderful to be able to make a dish like that. You know, it's like when I make also the bolito misto once a year. You know, there's there's something really great about cooking a dish like that and pouring your heart into making it and then sharing it with your friend. And with, with your friends and family, and, and it, it, that's what I call, you know, part of my being authentic. It's mm-hmm. just acknowledging the people who make the food, sharing the food, and then, you know, make 
people enjoy it. And and rice. I mean, I think that and Americans rice. think, oh, everything's pasta. And then they go, mm-hmm. if they travel in Italy, they realize you know, go too far north and you're mm-hmm. not going to get a lot of that pasta. You go too mm-hmm. far south, you're not going to get a lot of that. But, you know, it's interesting how things do change. And, yeah. uh, you know, the variety of, of foods um, are very regional. And yeah, and that's what we celebrate that. Yeah. Um, is there was one, and I, I, I talked to you about this things. I love finding things that surprise me in books, you know, something different, something new that I maybe had not thought of or noticed or knew about wow. before. And your one section on dishes, rather than calling them appetizers or first courses or vegetable dishes, you have a section called segare. Mm-hmm. Tell us what cigar is. It's, it's almost it's it's slicing. It's it's cutting things, you know, roughly and putting them according to the season or whatever you find in the market, or you may have leftovers in your fridge. Because cigar means it means to, to saw, saw right? and to you know to use you know and cut them and and so you know put porcini mushrooms with pecorino and and fennel or you can do beets and gorgonzola and walnuts or you can do blood oranges and lemon and red onions and and depending on the season you just i did also uh, there's one that i slice uh, zucchini and then they're poached basically very lightly in an acidulated water so water with vinegar and a little bit of salt and sugar and then I lay it as a lattice, like you do a crostata. Yeah. You know? The picture of that is gorgeous, by the way. <laughs> yeah, I had the fortune of, you know, working with one of the most beautiful and most incredible photographers, Laurie Frankel. I mean, the book is, is a work of art more than anything, yeah, thanks was, to her photography. And that it was, It's some, something so simple, and yet it looks so so wonderful. So all these dishes, and I think we're seeing a lot more of that um, in this country, are these composed salads if you will but I mean they're you know slices of, of yes. unexpected ingredients together sort mm-hmm. of and, and there you go that's yeah. your dish a little dousing of, of some wonderful oil yes. and uh, and there you have it and it's a, a beautiful appetizer I think yeah. it's just one of the greatest ways to start a meal okay so as we finish up here I have to ask you the tough questions oh la la um a favorite dish all time. Anything? Yes, I have. I've thought about it for a long time, and I've, I've been asked that question before. And thank God that I can say it with very happily. It would be spaghetti alla carbonara. Oh, that's I, an easy one for me too. <laughs> I, I eat spaghetti alla carbonara literally every Saturday for lunch. I mean, that's that's my. It's part of my routine, you know. Yeah. And and it's just I I I find that so satisfied and I can't think of my life without spaghetti I just, and the tradition know. and background of that of course it's still kind of hazy there are all yeah, kinds of, f- of folklore you know, yeah. you know surrounding the you yeah. know the history of that dish um, uh, just like uh, puttanesca I mean you know, oh those, those, gosh, are, those yeah. are two very storied but, but, yeah. recipes you know but that, those are there are plenty of books and plenty of authorities who yeah. have already set that record straight I didn't think that I needed to do <laughs> no you didn't without that they go I basically <laughs> what I did is I wrote the way that I cook it and which I basically do it with a raw egg and mixed it with a lot of pecorino romano that has to be the real stinky one you mm-hmm. know, not the not the one out of a jar <laughs> right, 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 right. And, uh, and lots of it. 
And uh, I think it's, it's and just... And you use Guanciale? And I use Guanciale, of yeah. course. Mm. And, and that was quite an achievement for me to be able to print Guanciale on the book yeah. instead of Pancetta. That's See? right. So it's Guanciale, not or Pancetta. So that's why I call it this authentic way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, that's, and it's, it's interesting because, you know, we, we have to run around here in, in this country and try to find some good Pecorino Roman. You have to go out and find some, some Guanciale. But... In an Italian household, in particular areas, they would be more or less staples in, in oh, the yeah. household. So you always had an egg, you always yeah. had some pecorino, you had some guanciale. Yes. Boom! You throw together the yeah. you know the pasta, and there you have it. Mm. It's you can and eat I, it for breakfast, lunch, or dinner. Exactly, <laughs> and I love to make always more because then I like to have leftover. Because then what you do is you take a nonstick pan, put a little bit of butter the next day or or in the evening or whenever you're you're hungry. And I make it like a frittata. A little frittata? Oh, yes. And yeah. so then it's delicious. And you serve it like little wedges as a contorno. It's it's quite quite please, pleasant. Or as my kids say, <laughs> spaghetti pie, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's great. Um, okay, and the next question is, do you have a particular pet peeve about ingredients? Um, and we may have covered it already about about people thinking they're cooking uh, Italian with Italian ingredients, what is, would be your pet peeve? I I would say, if I understand what pet peeve is... is uh, Something that ruffles that, your feathers you know, and bothers you. Ruffers, yes, yeah. is, um, I, this, there's just this addiction of everything sweet in this country. The idea that you need to, you know, that... that it has to be on a, the tendency for everything for me is that it goes on, on a sweeter side. And this mania of putting balsamic vinegar on everything. <laughs> and, you know, it's just, I think the worst thing that happened to balsamic vinegar, it's like what Marcella Hassan said once a long time ago, is the worst thing that happened to balsamic vinegar is that they put it in a salad. Ooh, and, yeah. you know, I, I think that, you know, it's... It, the. The, the beautiful flavors of eating Italian food is that roller coaster of flavors that you get. That you go from, and in Italy you eat a lot more bitter flavors. And bitter is a wonderful flavor. I keep on talking always about, you know, bitter. I, there's lots of recipes that many people will first, you know, their first reaction when they eat it, it's kind of, mmm, this is so bitter. And I go, but that's beautiful. That's what it should be. Amaro is a beautiful flavor. And I think that, you know, just not everything has to be sweet. You know, acidity and bitterness are a wonderful repertoire of the wonderful roller coaster of flavors that you get when you're in Italy eating with the Italians. Mm -hmm. I mean, la carugula should be bitter and spicy. It shouldn't be sweet. Broccoli should be bitter and angry. It shouldn't be sweet. <laughs> Anyone that you um, would thank or attribute to your either greatest learning of cooking or your introduction to learning to cook what, and learning the traditions, the, the old there's, the old traditions of, of Italy. There's there's only one one person that I can think of, and he's actually on the plane right now with his wife coming over the landing at 5.45 today at JFK. And I'm just so honored. He's 83 years old. He's the man who basically taught me what 
authenticity means. And there's a beautiful essay that I dedicated to him in, um, in the book. His name is Carlo Choni, and he owns a restaurant on top of the hills outside of Florence called Da Delfina, which uh, to me is, but I, I, like I said in the book, I call him, my, he's been like a father figure, like my guru and my pope, and I consider Da Delfina my Vatican, you know, because <laughs> <laughs> it's the... I, I think that's what, you know, being authentic is all about, is just being somebody like him, you know, who is so, somebody would so, you know, for somebody who's a nomad and a mutt like me to see somebody who has such deep roots. He's been there forever. He's I mean, been there forever, he's yeah. I mean, it's, and and he, he he's so kind and so gentle and so generous about sharing everything that he knows. And, uh, you know, he's he's just been sort of like the father I never had. So, And he's coming just to, you know, celebrate the launch of Authentico. So I'm, I'm pretty, you know, it's, it's a big day for me today, oh, Linda. So I will have a chance to meet him? <laughs> yes, you Sunday? will. On Sunday. Oh, I yeah, look forward to coming, that. Yeah, yes. that's wonderful. <laughs> well, Rolando, I can't tell you how, how pleased I am that you mm. took the time on your brief trip here this time around to share with us your... Uh, your takes on on Italian traditions and authentic ingredients. Mm, thank you yeah. for having me, and thank you for being the first interview of, of Authentico. Authentico. Well, it's my honor, too, <laughs> right? <laughs> so it's great. And again, the book is Authentico, Cooking Italian the Authentic Way by Rolando Beramendi. And thanks for listening. This has been A Taste of the Past with your host, me, Linda Palaccio. <laughs> for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening. A Taste of the Past is powered by Simplecast. Simplecast is a popular hosting and analytics platform that allows podcasters to easily host and publish to apps like Apple Podcasts. If you have a podcast or are looking to create your very first, check it out. Try it for free and save half off your first three months at simplecast.com forward slash heritage.